You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. I had a uh, mini epiphany today. A couple things kind of coming together. Seems as though there are largely two different camps living in two different... I shouldn't even say realities, but just... um, It's not that we see different things necessarily. I mean, we see things slightly different, but it's just how we handle things that's so drastically different. I think it kind of annoys some people, but I don't know. I personally don't really care what people think or not. I have a podcast. You can listen to it or you don't have to. But but the two groups are the, like, I'm really excited. We're going to get this turned around. It's going to be great. Can't wait. Woo, go Packers. We got this. We're going to crush the Lions and we're going to go on to win a bunch of games. And the, well, that sucked. Uh, All right, so 2023, how do we kind of, like, right the ship here? That's kind of the two camps. And really, there's there's really nothing wrong with either. People get kind of uppity and want to go into attack mode. You got the unrealistic bootlicking Rogers sycophant. I don't know what else fans in that camp. And then you got the not-true fan, emotionally deranged crybaby, spoiled brat fans. And it's like, maybe in some cases, but you can also just be an adult that comes to a conclusion, right? I think things are going to turn around. I'm excited. Boom, here we go. Or probably not. So where do we go from here? Here's the cool thing, though. A lot of both of those camps intersect in a lot of areas. And I was thinking about that with this whole Darnell Savage thing. Joe Barry had uh, done a press conference, I guess, two days ago now. And um, everybody kind of got on board with it. Now, unfortunately, I, I just listened to it, and Joe Barry is very clearly not on board with it. Some of the I was reading some of the clips and things that people were posting, kind of giving me the impression maybe Joe Barry was considering it. Um, he may. I mean, th- that's the way this season has gone, right? The media kind of like peppers him with a bunch of stuff, and next thing you know, hey, he's coming out with it, which again is kind of weird because why are you listening to us? I mean, we, we want you to because we think we're right, obviously. But it doesn't instill a lot of confidence when the defensive coordinator is like, I don't know, man, maybe they're right. Let's just try it. What do I know? I'm an idiot. Not saying he's an idiot. I'm just saying that's how it comes off. You're supposed to be like 50,000 levels higher than me. My opinion should mean less than nothing to you. My thought. I don't know. Whatever. But the reason I thought it was interesting is because in both camps, whether you're, hey, nope, we're going to turn this around, everything's going to be great, or... We need to figure out what we're doing in the future. How we handle the Joe Barry situation, the Darnell Savage situation, fixing the team is still a major question for both camps because what both camps want is a good football team that wins games and who knows, maybe can even win a Super Bowl. Believe it or not, that's what both camps want because both camps include Packer fans. And interestingly enough, as, as drastic as the Darnell Savage thing is, and I'm usually not in that camp, I'm like, oh, come on, guys. Like You can't just swap players and everything's fixed. But there does come a point when, it's, when it gets to the point where it's like, what do you have to lose? I got to that, the last time I got to that point uh, in regard to a safety, I think, was Demarius Randall. Again, very opposed to like swapping all this stuff and like, I don't know, man, it's like we, we just pretend too often that like a, 
a boundary corner and a slot corner and a safety. It's all the same thing. Like, we can just swap guys around. It's no big deal. And that's not true. But with Demarius, number one, he was a safety in college, and we moved him to corner. And number two, he was a terrible corner. And so everybody, myself included, were screaming, what do we have to lose? Just try it. Just try it. We don't have good safeties. We don't have good corners. We don't have good anything. Can you please just try it? Plus, we always have these free agents that are talented. I remember that during the Randall and Rollins day. We'd have these undrafted free agents that would come in and just wreck stuff. Just, you know, come in for like a play bust up a, a touchdown pass, and then they pull him and put you know Randall and Rollins back out. Like, well, I don't understand. And it was the same kind of attitude that you're hearing a little bit from Joe Barry, and I'll, I'll play it in its entirety in a minute, but the same kind of like, well, you know, we don't really have like the guys, and I, I don't know, like we haven't really thought about it or tried that, and I, I don't really want to talk about it. And, the, and the, the punchline of it all is that we ended up making a trade. That's where we got Deshaun Kaiser and sent him off. I think that was the trade. I don't know. But the Browns got Demarius. And what did they do? They instantly put him at safety. Now, he was not a Hall of Fame safety, but he was clearly a better football player at safety. It was just, it was a better position for him than corner. And I, I listen, personally, I think there is a, a world in which Savage could be a good safety. We saw glimmers of it in year two under Mike Pettin, right? I mean, it was about a half a season, but it was a real solid half a season. It's, and it, it just so happened to be the second half of the season. So it's like, he kind of just figured it out. Well, then we get rid of Pettin, we bring in a new guy with new scheme, and Savage is like, dude, I can't do this. So anyways, before I carry on, just so we're all on the same page, I just want to play this kind of exchange, I guess, uh, with Joe Barry. But by the way, the the first part is kind of a, not a two-part, because it's two separate people asking two separate questions, but hammering on on Savage and the tackling, and Joe Barry very much acknowledged, yeah, this this dude uh, does not tackle the way that we teach him to tackle, so that's kind of a problem. And he did go on to say that Savage put in the work during... uh, practice which annoys me for so many reasons number one i'm tired of hearing about how great these practices are like dude he put in some serious work but beyond that like what the heck we've we been doing this whole time like oh man he he was struggling with tackling so we we really made him practice super hard this time like dude you practice real hard all the time all the time every single time and if you emphasize tackling, then you de-emphasize something else. So does this mean he's going to tackle great but can't cover this week? I don't know. Whatever. Anyways, uh, here's Joe Barry after the tackling thing discussing other things. When did it use him more in coverage, like uh, man coverage? Uh, if, you know, coming down. Why not use Savage more in man coverage? You've talked a lot about, oh, yeah, we could use him in the slot, you know, that you worked with a little bit in the training camp. Isn't that more of a strength? Are you talking about using him as a safety in man coverage or as a nickel corner? As a nickel corner. Well, if you put him at nickel corner, you have to put someone else in at safety. We know, Joe. We're we're well aware. He's our starting safety, so. Couldn't Douglas do it? I mean, he seems to be, every time he's... Facing the uh, quarterback, he seems to make a yeah. lot of big plays. Yeah, I mean, those are those are things, you know. Joe Barry reminds me of that teacher that always wants you to use complete sentences, you know? Like, use it in a complete sentence. No, dummy, figure out what I'm saying. <laughs> we have to put somebody at safety. Well, can't Razul Douglas do it? Do what? Play safety? Come on, Joe. Uh, Rasul plays corner. He plays nickel. You know, we haven't thought about playing Rasul at safety, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Darnell Savage would be an unbelievable nickel, and we've repped him there at times over the years. But you know, in order to do that, if you're going to move him to the nickel corner position, you got to you know feel comfortable with putting someone in at safety. So um, I definitely, absolutely think Darnell has the skill set to do that. There's no doubt about it. I mean, Here's my biggest question: is because if, depending on how you answer this question kind of factors in how much I really am uh, not happy with Joe Barry in this moment. Is he kind of just saying this, like, you know, supporting his guys? Like, like if you were to say the same thing about Kenny Clark at edge or something, like, you know, do you, you ever thought about putting Kenny at edge? Like, well, no, because, like, that's we just haven't practiced that or whatever. But I, I'm sure he would be he would be an incredible edge rusher. Incredible. Right? You, you, he would, you could, the point is, you can do that with anybody. Right? Quay Walker. He's He's got the... Um, the, the speed and the bend and everything. You ever thought about putting him at edge? Well, you know, I mean, that's that's not what we trained him for and repped him for and everything, but but he would be incredible at that position. Is that all he's doing here? 
In other words, he would actually be kind of trash at it, according to Joe, but it's just like he just supports his guys and thinks that they're great. Like, if you were to ask him about safety, would he say that he thinks he's a really great safety? Because if not, and he genuinely believes, like, dude, he would, I'm telling you, this guy is built to be a slot corner. He would be amazing as a slot corner. But, you know, there's that one hang-up where we, we don't have another say. Find somebody, you jag off. What about Rudy Ford? Forget Razul. Like, okay, yeah, again, I, I'm, I don't like the whole, well, you know, he plays good in zone, so he'd be a great safety. It's not the same thing. You can't just say, he seems good in zone, so let's make him a safety. It's, it's maybe, but it, that is not the same thing. But, but what about Rudy Ford? Why can't you put Rudy Ford? Well, he's, you know, he's not quite ready. He doesn't quite understand. Savage doesn't know what he's doing. So why don't you try it? And if the argument is, well, we think that Savage would be a good nickel, but, you know, Razul is a better nickel, which at this point is a massive question mark, fine. Scrap it. But I'm still curious about Rudy Ford's safety. <laughs> but no, it's, it's just sort of this... You know, and even the way he answered the question, again, with like the whole complete sentences thing that I was semi-joking about, I don't know. It, to me, it almost felt... I don't know, I'm, I'm reading too much into it, but but y- you can almost be sort of condescending in a way when you do things like that without being condescending. He knows what he meant when he said Razul at safety, right? I mean, that's obvious that he knew what he meant. So why did he say it? Number one could be just to buy himself more time because he's kind of taken off guard and is not sure how to answer the question. Number two is to make it sound ridiculous. Why can't Razul do it? Razul... Douglas at at safety, you mean? You want to you want to put him at safety? Oh, yeah. No, no, that's a that's a real good question. Um gee, uh because he's not a safety because he plays on the boundary and in the slot maybe. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm I'm adding things, but that's my thought on it. But again, this is where the two camps intersect. Because if you're one of the fans that really wants to find a turnaround this season, We're in desperation mode. We have to figure out something quickly. We cannot continue on the same path. If you are in the, this season is likely over, let's focus on the future. 100% we should be mixing stuff up like that because Darnell Savage right now is 99.99% out of here after this year. He's gone. Goodbye. However, before we completely give up on the guy, because there's some, some semblance of talent that we've all seen there, why not see if he can be a stud slot guy? I don't think anybody's saying, I, uh, excuse me, that's Razul's job and we want him here forever. You know, no disrespect to Razul. I'm just saying, if we have a young, uber-talented, uber-athletic guy that turns out to be a really good slot, probably won't be, but what is it going to hurt? Well, we might lose games. <laughs> I know, I've seen you do that four times in a row. And, and I understand it's a massive undertaking. And it's not something that you can just do and then undo. I mean, you, I guess you can, but it's just, it's not great to be like, all right, listen, Savage, you really suck. And we're going to put you in the slot. Razul, I know that's your thing and you didn't do anything wrong, but let's try you at safety. I know you've never really done that. You don't know how to do that, but I don't really want to bench you because that seems unfair to you because you haven't really done anything wrong. And Savage hasn't earned the right to be the slot, but you know, whatever. And, and Rudy, you have deserved the, deserved the opportunity, but you're kind of a nobody, so we're just going to keep you that special team. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a weird thing, and then if it doesn't work, then what do you do? All right, guys, look, I messed up. I'm sorry that I said those things. Um, Razul, you're... you're um, we're just we're going to go back. Never mind. Never mind. That didn't work. You know, and, and, and it, it also, how long do you stick with it? Well, I mean, it was his first time playing slot, and Razul's first time playing safety. We supposed to do this the rest of the year with them sucking before we give up, or do we give them one chance, which isn't fair? Here's here's my thought. And again, this is from somebody that is not down on Savage as much as everybody else, although I acknowledge he's he's terrible. I, I just I, I know that he's trying, but but at the very least, Savage needs to go sit on the bench and Rudy Ford should come in. And I understand a lot of it is overhyped because it's a it's a you know limited sample size, but it's not a super limited sample size. He's played a decent chunk, and he's also one of the highest defensive players on our team as far as PFF grade. Highest graded defensive players. Start there. You can bring in Savage. I mean, remember, we we have multiple personnel packages. We don't have to make definitive statement. Savage, you don't play anymore. Especially with, um, this actually might be a fantastic opportunity considering we don't have Devondre. 
and we're going to need some help, why don't we use a safety in that spot? Allowing us to employ three safeties will give us some flexibility to try some stuff. Maybe you have this goofy little package where Razul goes up, you know, in the box and uh, Savage can be in the slot. Maybe Savage can be in the box and Ford can be over the top just so we can get some looks at Ford. Maybe Ford can go in the box. Let's, let's mix some stuff up just so we can get some eyes on it. Because we need to figure out the best thing moving forward, whether that's forward in this season, forward in next season, whatever. But the point is, and, I, and again, I, I believe everyone more or less agrees with this, what we're doing isn't working. And, and I think, although obviously not having the same five guys work together overall is a net negative, or is a negative, it's still a net positive the amount of times we've shifted things because it's given us a lot of data. We've seen Zach Tom at tackle and guard. We've seen Elton at tackle and guard. We've seen David Bakhtiari and got a good good view of him in terms of how good he's doing, and it's very good. It's good data, not just, you know, again, for this season and for the future. We've seen Royce. We've seen Yash. And so we'll be able to use that to try to configure the absolute best offensive line because otherwise what you would do is you'd take five guys, you'd say, this is who I think is best. You'd put them out there, you leave them out there. And you don't know if that's the best five. You just assume based on what happened in training camp. And guys like Zach Tom just get buried, you know, and, and we know that there's this guy that's pretty good, but we don't know how good that probably could use some, some reps, but we're not going to give him any because he's not a part of the top five. And that's just the way it goes. But this is a situation where we're being forced to do that. We are in a situation now where Devondre is not going to play. Take advantage of that. Mix some stuff up. Doesn't have to be all the time. We don't, it doesn't, again, nothing is all or nothing. Savage, you're benched. No, he's not benched. He's just getting rotated in and out of the game in different spots. And I know that puts us at a somewhat disadvantageous position to not have, like, definitively, these are our guys moving forward. These are the assignments we have and everything else. Freaking Walgreens. Anyways, they're always, they're always bugging me, man. They're, always, they're obsessed with me. What can I say, man? Walgreens and people trying to get me to vote, you know? They love me so much. I'm kind of popular, you know? My phone's blowing up all the time. Like, hey, did you know about this law that's in effect? And I'm like, no. They're like, do you want to talk to me about it? I'm like, Pfft. You want to talk to me, though? Obsessed. Should start handing out the uh, Packernet After Dark number. There's got to be some creative ways to use it. I, 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 by the way, JJ, shout out, um, going on Twitter and telling people that Brian Gutekunst's phone number was leaked and then putting the Packernet After Dark phone number. Especially since he's going to catch all the flack for that, because the people that don't realize are going to be like, wow, you're a jerk, leaking his phone number. I hate you, block, ban, kill. Hopefully not kill, but I'm just saying he's taking all the slings and arrows for the sake of the cause. Anyways, the point is we've, we've, we've got two choices. We can continue the path we're on or we can try to make, and I'm, I'm not talking major changes, like Razul is officially our full-time starting safety and Savage is our full-time starting slot, but we can, we can put together packages, can we not? And, and I understand it's not that easy in terms of, well, how do we get Savage? So we got to have Savage practices of safety in a slot. Yeah, dude, I guess you do. Because, again, here's the bottom line. Savage should not be playing safety full-time. Period. I would like, and I think it would benefit the Packers this year and beyond, if Savage would be given a shot in the slot. If not, I still think we need to work toward giving other people opportunities. I think it would be cool if we could have Razul try a little bit of safety and Savage try a little bit of slot. Again, if, if, even if that's just kind of an unusual little package you deploy, especially now that we don't have linebackers putting Razul in that spot and having Savage come up into the slot. We have hybrid safety slot guys that exist. Why can't Savage be one? But again, if you're unwilling... I still don't think, because, because again, I, I, I get it, right? That's, that's too much, it's too hard, it's too this, too that, fine. Fine. But we have to start figuring out an alternative to the Savage situation. We have to. And again, I don't understand how Rudy Ford isn't staring us in the face. I mean, I, I, I get it insofar as the same reason we never allowed these undrafted free agent guys, and let me just get some names to it, because they deserve the respect. How about... Lindsey Pipkins. How about that, huh? Guy comes in for a play, breaks up the pass, then they kick him out. Obviously, Lindsey Pipkins didn't go on to dominate the NFL, but, but he was a better option in that moment. Sometimes you get these guys that are just fired up and motivated. 
You know, I mean, people have talked about McDuffie and and uh, and Wilson and, and how impressed they were with those guys. I, I don't I don't recall personally having that same feeling. But you know, sometimes again, you, you just kind of rise to the occasion. It's it's similar to the whole conversation we've had about you know you need something to rally around. Well, those guys have something personally. This is a huge moment. And yeah, Rudy Ford, when his entire career, his entire life is on the line, a guy that nobody expects to really get that big contract or anything like that, is given a real opportunity. You think he's going to, you know, half-heartedly throw a shoulder at a guy? Yeah, right. Guy knows that every single play he makes on a football field could be his last. And honestly, continuing on with the Ford train of thought, as unrealistic as it seems that the guy would ever really become anything, isn't that essentially, isn't Rudy Ford the same thing as Devondre Campbell? Devondre Campbell was never any good at linebacker anywhere in the NFL, came over here and excelled at what it is Joe Barry asked him to do. Because just like all defensive coordinators, as much as we either like or dislike certain people, there are certain people that fit certain schemes. And Devondre, for whatever reason, likes what Joe Barry does. It just fits his personal style. Maybe that's Rudy Ford. But all I know is even if we put him out there and it just, oh, never mind, Rudy's not very good, we're not going to go backwards very much, right? Worst case scenario, he's somehow worse than Savage, and we got to put Savage back in. Oh, well. But as far as the original premise of the show, I do know that there are some people that want this all blown up. So so there's a, I guess, subcategory of fan that says that the, the roster's complete garbage needs to be blown up and, and rebuilt. That's that's fine. But for the rest of us, regardless of, of how we feel about this season, there is an urgency to figure out what the heck is going on and get it moving. So what is it we need to see? Because this is kind of the, the I talked about the, uh, you know, the heck do you call them? Markers or stages or whatever. With this Lions game, what do we need to see? Well, as far as having a successful season, beat the Lions and beat the Lions kind of by a lot and then get back on track are the three main things. But more specifically, if we want to see a healthy team for this year, next year, and beyond, what individually do we need to see in this game? That's probably a more important question. The most complicated of which is Rodgers. And let's, let's all just be completely honest. Rodgers snapping out of whatever the heck is going on, probably the best case scenario. I say probably because I'm open to other thoughts or whatever, but when he signed his contract, I was jacked because I don't want this train to end and I want to keep, you know, if we can run back 13 and three seasons for as long as possible and hopefully eventually steal one, let's do that. So in a sense, Rodgers playing like Rodgers again is the most important thing. Now, again, maybe he is playing like Rodgers and losing your wide receivers and a struggling offensive line is, is highlighting the bad side of Rodgers. I don't know. But we'll leave that alone for now. Poison the pocket, decision-making, accuracy. That's what you want from every quarterback. That's what we need from Aaron Rodgers. There's no excuses. Stand in the pocket, find the right guy, throw a good pass to that right guy. That's what we need from Rodgers. Wide receivers. Most important are the young guys. I would love for, for Randall Cobb and Sammy Watkins and Alan Lazard to be great wide receivers and do good stuff. But much more importantly than that is Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson, and Amari Rodgers, and Samori Ture, to whatever degree they're actually going to be playing, because that that is the future of the Green Bay Packers. And I think that's a big part of the reason why, I mean, partly because they're the new flashy, shiny object, partially because we know the ceiling of Sammy Watkins, Alan Lazard, and, um, and Randall Cobb, and, and we know it's not super high, and we don't want to believe that that's as high as it goes, but also because we want to believe that we actually have something for the future. So for every reason, I think most fans are excited about the young guys. In fact, this, this it's maybe one of the biggest facets for this team moving forward. This week, this year, this decade. Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, Samori Ture being basically another version of Watkins, Lazard, and Randall Cobb is a devastating reality for the Packers and for Packer fans. If they continue to grow and Dobbs becomes sort of the next let's say, Devontae Light, and Christian Watson becomes an absolute star, whatever that means, I don't know. Again, I'm not going to talk about top five wide receiver, but but a very good wide receiver. And if Samori Ture can come in and be, you know, if if that trio, or or the heck is a, what, what is this, foursome? 
Do you go from trio to foursome, or do you, is there a cool word for foursome? Quartet? Like the singing thing? No. We'll go with the tennis thing. What is five? Quintet? We're just doing tets from now on? That's so stupid. You should get a life. But, it, but it's huge. It really is. And, and, and again, more so than the offensive line, because if Zach Tom doesn't pan out or does pan out, kind of more of a future thing. We got Jenkins. We got Myers. We got Runyon. We got Bach. We got Nyman. Again, Jenkins not playing well, but but we've got our guys without needing the young guys to step up. The wide receivers, it's like the massively needed for this year, massively important for our future, and the swing of how good we're going to be, how bad we're going to be, is 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 drastic for them. Now, there's combinations. Maybe maybe Watson's real good and Dobbs isn't, or Turay's pretty good, but but Watson isn't and Dobbs is mediocre, or whatever weird combination you want to come up with. But for the future, as far as the offensive line is concerned, if Zach Tom is playing, I want to see that, that uh, continued high level of play. And for the record, we don't know if Bakhtiari is even playing in this game. At least I don't know. Maybe you learned something that I haven't so far yet. But I, 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 it's not looking great. So we may get another real strong, hard look at Zach Tom, whether he's the left tackle or playing guard in Elton's tackle. I don't. I, who knows what weird, stupid combination they're going to come up with, but... Again, a, a positive from Zach Tom is important for a lot of reasons, this year and beyond. Beyond is obvious because I don't know how long Bakhtiari is going to be around. We probably need him to be a tackle. But even this year, we know injuries happen, especially in the postseason if we happen to get there. Every year there's injuries. Every year we try to come up with some combination. Every year the offensive line is one of the biggest, if not the biggest issues that cause us to lose and get eliminated from the playoffs. But there's also... Important things for us moving forward, as far as the offensive line is concerned, I don't know if there's anything more important than Elton Jenkins. This guy went from being a premier tackle for the Green Bay Packers to, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. So I just want to see a good day from him. Um, I saw somebody had posted, I haven't verified it, but I don't see any reason to. Pass blocking efficiency metrics via PFF, Josh Myers is number one. So continued growth from Myers and Runyon is also important. And then uh, Yash just continuing to be Yash, because I think there's a real possibility of him being a starting tackle for the Packers in the future, which is crazy to think about. But if Elton does not continue to improve and he's up for a contract, there's no way the Packers are going to say, okay, you're the guy and we're going to pay you a, a absolute king's ransom to play tackle for us, even though you've not proven to be able to do that. And if Bakhtiari leaves on top of that, and I know I keep mentioning that. I'm not trying to say it's a certainty. I'm just saying it's a very real possibility we need to figure out. Then we might need Tom and Nyman to be our tackles moving forward and maybe keep Jenkins inside. I don't know. Um, tight ends. We know Mercedes isn't going to be around for a ton longer, but I think one of the biggest rising stars and underrated players on this team right now is Josiah DeGuara. Again, I've been saying pretty much all year, he's playing well. They're just not giving him opportunities. Now you're starting to see uh, along the, the Twitterverse, it's being made, you know, pe- people are noticing. And I tell you what, with, uh, with Amari starting to make a couple plays on offense, fingers crossed that this third round curse is broken. Who knows? Maybe Josiah makes some plays. That kind of cracks open the door for Amari. If Amari can do it, maybe Sean Ryan can kind of start to emerge, you know? It doesn't make actual sense, but if you think about it in terms of like a supernatural curse, it kind of does, you know? Running backs, I don't really have a huge concern for other than, obviously, if we're talking about the future moving on from Aaron Jones, there's a massive question mark here with A.J. Dillon. And I'm still, I, I still haven't delved enough into it to officially form an opinion. I mean, the, the general consensus is he's taken a step back and he's, he's really not the star that we thought he was. Fair to a point. However, if he has taken a step back, he's taken a step back similar to what a lot of other guys have, which which still leads me to the question of why is this happening? Because if, if we can get to the root cause of that and kind of remove that hex, maybe A.J. Dillon can get back to what he was. But also there's, there's a weird thing with, you know, if you look at, again, stack boxes, Aaron Jones faces very few and A.J. Dillon faces a ton. I also have questions. Again, I haven't looked at it personally yet. But it seems as though even the blocking schemes are different with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. So there's just a lot of weird stuff going on with Dillon and Jones. And I don't know that I can necessarily right now blanket statement, Dillon has fallen off. Maybe, and maybe all the differences have to do with him just not being great. Or, or you know, in other words, they're, they're blocking a certain way because he can't handle doing it the way we normally do it. I don't know. But that is a question mark. But, it, but it's not a major question mark. If worst case scenario, A.J. Dillon is our back, 
okay, you know, yeah, we lost a star in Aaron Jones and Dylan isn't a star. Okay, we don't have a star running back. That sucks, I guess. Been here before, we'll survive. He's still kind of a stud that can do some cool stuff. And I'm still looking forward to those moments when he actually has a hole to run through, which is almost never. Because we've seen it like once or twice, and that dude just, it's a beautiful sight to behold. Especially when the first person to make contact is like a linebacker or a safety, that is hilarious. But I think overall, we've been running the ball well, and I think, if anything, I just want to see that continue. Defensively, you know, I, I, I again, a lot of with the defense is inconsistency. I really liked Kenny to start the season. Now he's kind of slipping down into like, eh, territory. The stats have all fallen off. Starting to see him kind of get washed out a little bit more. Rashawn, you know, again, the, the stats aren't, I mean, they're kind of hanging on, but not, not quite. And the run defense is really starting to take a hit. Preston is just a, a stud against the run, but the pass rush has kind of just evaporated. Jair is kind of in no man's land. Like last week, he looked real good, but the week before was bad. So we kind of just want to see something steady from him, right? I, I guess what I want is to recover what I believed prior to the season, that this is a really good collection of guys, right? I want to see the stars be stars. Kenny, Rashawn, Jair, Preston, Devondre when he's, when he's healthy. I want to see Stokes look decent. Razul look decent. I'm not asking for superstar status from those guys. Just be solid twos and threes. I want Amos to, to, to be a, you know, top 15 safety. I mean, it's, it's not like he's 34 years old and I'm asking too much. He's still, what, 29? I think that's the biggest thing. We just need consistent production from the, the stars. And by stars, I just mean the high-quality veteran players on our defense that we do have. As far as what else there is, there's a young core that seems to be getting kind of moving in the right direction, primarily Devontae Wyatt and Quay Walker. They both have had really good weeks the last couple weeks. Obviously, getting ejected is not great, but as far as their play on the field, I think about two weeks in a row now, Devontae, very similar to Josiah, starting to make plays, starting to get more opportunities as he makes more plays and and is, is rewarding the team for that. So either way, these are all things I think I think we can all relatively agree on that the, the, a lot of people are going to say, no, I, I want the Packers to tank. But again, this, this is sort of the issue with that. The Packers, quote unquote, tanking means that they're really, really bad at football. And that overall hurts us in the end, right? Let's say that there's a, your favorite player, let's say we get the number one pick in the draft. I know it's unrealistic. I'm just saying, let's just say we lose every single game. Somehow we end up with the number one pick in the draft. Pick your favorite player. I don't care who it is. Pick two of your favorite players. We get the number one and number two picks. How does that compensate for Watson, Dobbs, Ture, and Rodgers are trash? Talking to Mari. Rodgers, also Aaron, the quarterback, is trash. Um, the offensive line is garbage. Jenkins, Myers, Runyon, Yash, Zach Tom, Bakhtiari, they're all garbage. The running backs are no good. The defense is no good. Two of the best players in the entire NFL doesn't compensate for that. So there is an element of if you're going to be bad, you know, maybe kind of get us like a pretty good pick kind of thing. But but there ha- it has to be done w- within the framework of the best possible thing for this team is that we have a good team. That, you know, again, that that's somewhat intuitive. And, and it's happened before. We've seen it, for example, the 49ers. They had this weird thing where either they were super dominant or like they lost their quarterback and got like a top three pick, and then they get Bosa, and then, oh, we're really good again, except we lost our quarterback. Oh, we get another. And then they got like three top five picks, stacked their defensive line, got an elite defense, added a couple pieces on offense, and they're just tearing stuff up. Again, I'm, I'm just speaking to the second group here. That should be the aim. We have a really good roster. We slipped a little bit, right? We lost our footing. We get a pretty good pick. We add that to the piece. We solve the problem of why we're underachieving, whether that be a coaching thing. Maybe it's just Joe Barry. I don't know, but we figure that out. And then we move forward with a much better football team. But that that really good football team is going to include a lot of these pieces. If it doesn't, it's going to take a lot more than one draft. It's going to take two, three years to get this all figured out. If we're talking, we don't have wide receivers, offensive line we don't have a quarterback, defensive tackles, pass rushers, linebackers, corners, and safeties. We don't have jack squat. This is going to take a long time to get figured out. So again, we all should, to some degree, hope that this team shows promise. Maybe you don't want them to show too much promise. Okay, fine. 
But there's there's a lot of pieces on this team that every single Packer fan should be rooting for. It's my perspective on that. Um, why don't we take a break? Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Please also check fertilegroundranch.org if you'd like to uh, consider donating. I do have a link pinned to the top of my Twitter. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So, point of clarification here. I did uh, Patreon yesterday-ish. A couple questions. And I had JG reach out and basically say I jacked up his question. I'm an idiot, and I apologize. But let's do this right, okay? He says, my question was the one about DNA. What I was uh, trying to convey is that we see the same problems with this team from the McCarthy era carrying on into the LaFleur era. Things like playing only one good half, teams with skill not putting it out on the field, or the stubborn refusal to utilize parts of the offense that would mitigate things like poor O-line play or bump-and-run coverage. We have changed out our coaches, we have changed our GM, we have changed most of the roster, but uh, what we have not changed is Murphy and Rodgers. What got me thinking it might be Rodgers was how you mentioned last week. We are uh, we are seeing the same fade route play that McCarthy used to run uh, being brought into this offense. I know you are inclined to blame the coaches, but really what can LaFleur do to make Rodgers not audible his plays? Rodgers obviously thinks he knows better. Just look at his comments about how he likes the West Coast offense over the Shanahan offense. LeFleur cannot bench the back-to-back MVP on a massive contract and he reduces his quarterback's playing time since he must be on the field for every offensive snap. Rodgers has been an impressive quarterback for us. I will never forget his Hail Mary to beat the Lions. Oh, greatest moment. Like one, As far as like one play goes, I've never in my life experienced anything like that. Uh, He goes on to say his sideline throw to beat the Cowboys or how it felt to watch him win a Super Bowl. But it's time for him to hang it up. He has settled into an unhealthy spot on this team. And I think a lot of our problems stem from the difference we have had to treat with him. Love the podcast. Well, we'll we'll save that last part. I do appreciate the note, though, by the way. So let's kind of go note by note here. I was going to stop and kind of interrupt. I know I did the one time because that is an awesome play. But um, I I wanted to kind of just read it through and then we'll do kind of Line by line here. The the first thing that comes to mind when you say all this is if we were to do this sort of scientifically, we'd have to do two things. Number one, verify that what we think we're seeing is what we're actually seeing. And then number two, we would have to verify that it's unusual within the NFL, right? So, so do most teams give you four solid quarters? How many fan bases, you know, get frustrated that we aren't utilizing personnel a certain way. If these are common things from all of the 32 teams, then it, would be, it wouldn't be all that surprising that even though we changed you know, a coach and GM, that we're still seeing some of the same issues. That would be the first thing that I'd want to kind of check on. As far as your point about you know, Murphy and Rodgers being the two outstanding things, I know you honed in on Rodgers, but I just want to talk about Murphy because I have heard some people say he's got to go. I personally don't care about Murphy. Uh, I like him. I've never had an issue with him. But the biggest thing is he doesn't really, at this point, as far as I'm aware, have any real impact on this on this team. His biggest impact was bringing in Brian Gutekunst, and to whatever degree he helped in the in the head coaching search, which I think was pretty sizable. 
bringing in Matt LaFleur. But at this point, the GM is the guy that, that acquires the players. The coach is the guy that gets them ready to play. And then the players play, right? I mean, th- those are sort of the three levels. Bring in the guys, train up the guys, prepare the guys, and then the guys going out and executing. I can't imagine, again, I know this isn't what you're saying, but I'm, I'm just thinking through it. I can't imagine that there is anything within Murphy that would emanate out a culture that is negative in the way in which you laid out. Playing only one good half, teams with skill not putting it out on the field, stubborn refusal to utilize parts of the offense that would mitigate things like poor line play, bump and run coverage, etc. So again, I, I, I can't say definitively that I'm 100% with you, although I can't disagree with you because it, it, it is, I'm sitting here going, yeah, that I, 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 everything you're saying makes sense. Aside from the fact that I don't know for sure that we're seeing what we think we're seeing and that it's unusual. I do think it's it's not really a question of the of is Rodgers changing the offense? Would it be different if Rodgers wasn't the quarterback? I think the question is to what degree? And then the more and more important question is to what degree is it negative as opposed to positive? Right? So Rodgers constantly checking out of the uh, out of the pass, which I don't know that he's doing that. And presumably, if and when he does, it's because it's a, you know, that's what he's reading in the defense. But usually, I think that would have been a positive. Maybe this year, it ends up being more of a negative. Because this year, our passing is so bad, whether that be the offensive line, the quarterback, the wide receiver, or some combination, which is what it is, it's a combination. But but we're in a situation now where the, the run is so much significantly better than the pass that even in somewhat slightly less than opportune times, not talking 10 men in the box, but, you know, if you've got an eighth man in there, you might still consider running it. Consider. Uh, it's all I'm saying. I mean, I can't imagine what you would even tell Rodgers in that situation. Like, you know how to read this, right? It's like, yeah, it's a pass. All right, well, I want you to do a sort of a secondary read. You know how you look at it and you say it's a pass? I want you to kind of pass it through a little filter that I want you to implant in your brain. And that filter is something that says, we suck at throwing and we're better at running. Are you sure we should pass here? <laughs> Look at who it is you think you should pass to and who's across from them, maybe. You know what I mean? Like, is, is that like a thing? Or is there anything slightly not ideal with the pass? Because maybe we should just not do that. Um, the, the odd thing, you mentioned about how he likes the West Coast over the Shanahan, which, strangely enough, is West Coast. I never really understood that. I should ask Coach Hahn about that. Coach, I'm going to forget to ask you, but if you hear this and want to reach out, that would be the coolest thing ever. Or anybody that understands it. I never understood how Mike McCarthy was West Coast and Shanahan. I know there's like variants, but they're so unbelievably different. And when, when I read what the West Coast offense is, and I look at what we ran with Mike McCarthy, I'm like, dude, that ain't West Coast. We, we're, what we're doing here, there's nothing about it that's West Coast. I mean, obviously it is, but uh, it, it's very different. It, it's, one is horizontal, one is vertical. And my understanding of, of West Coast, if we were to just boil it down into that, is more horizontal. You stretch the field horizontally. McCarthy seemed to want to stretch the field vertically. Again, I know that's wildly simplistic, but I just, I never, I, I just remember when I read what the West Coast offense was, I'm like, is that what we do? I feel like we've never done that. And then you watch the Shanahan offense like that, that to me looks like a West Coast offense, but I, what do I know? Anyways, the, the, the crazy thing about it is when we were with Mike McCarthy and everything else, Rodgers had made comments about how much he admired what they were doing in San Francisco. He really respected how intelligent it was and how, you know, I mean, it, he just really revered the scheme. I mean, he's a, he's an intelligent guy that appreciates intelligence and the scheme in and of itself is wildly intelligent as are the people that implement it. Not saying that what McCarthy and, and Rogers ran wasn't, but he, he, he mentioned how much he admired it. And so it, it was odd to me when he finally got that scheme and then he went and won back-to-back MVPs by implementing it to whatever degree they did and didn't, for him to kind of come around the, later. And, and I know it wasn't a full frontal attack at it. It was just kind of a, a, a comment, but it was basically what we used to do was superior. It was the most beautiful offense ever. This new thing is kind of, I mean, it's great, but it's flawed. Like, okay, where is this coming from? I don't understand. So I don't know, man. I'm I'm kind of in just I don't really know what to think mode anymore, and I'm I'm very open to pretty much anything. I mean, it wouldn't take much to sway my opinion right now, um, because there's just so much weird stuff going on. But I I do agree that it, it at least appears as though there is a culture that is permeated. The the really weird thing is the one thing that seems to be undying is our defense and the way it plays. How is it that Mike Pettin became Dom Capers 
And then Joe Barry became Mike Pettin, who was Dom Capers. And I, again, wildly simplistic or whatever, but it just feels like we're complaining about the same stuff. It's different scheme, but it's the same defense all the time. And you talk about underachieving. I mean, at least Dom Capers ran out of talent at some point. I'm starting to wonder if we shouldn't have fired Dom and if it was just a personnel issue. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, man. It is frustrating. It really is. That's all I know. And, and I, I think there's at least an opportunity... And again, I, I know this sounds bad when I talk about possibly replacing LaFleur or replacing Rodgers and people get really mad about it. But understand when I'm saying stuff, I'm just, I'm just thinking things through. You don't have to get all huffy about it. I'm not the one making decisions. I'm not the GM. So don't worry. They're, they're fine. They're safe. But as unfair as it is to them, there, there is something to just having a changed culture, a changed identity. And, and we've gone through the examples, you know, you look at the Wisconsin Badgers and, you know, did they really have a bad coach? We always assume like, oh, that coach was garbage. And then the new guy comes in and it's like, well, that was, I mean, he's just a better coach. It's like, well, maybe, maybe they just need a different, different something. You know what I mean? I think things just get stale over time. That's, that's really where you start to admire the greatest of the greats. You know, the, the Bill Belichick's and honestly, the Andy Reeds, who is, who's one of the co- uh, coaches that I admire probably more than anyone. Andy Reed was Mike McCarthy. I mean, literally, he's from that tree. So for him to go on and be a coach and to adapt to the scheme as it is, and, and the, uh, uh, was it Sean Payton also? I, I think he was, it took him a little bit of a while, but something kind of clicked and he kind of changed the way they did things in New Orleans. And they really, you know, revived... Um, why do I want to say Peyton Manning? Drew Brees' career took taking his vertical assault to, again, more of this stretch the field horizontally type of attack, and it really just blew things up because he's such an accurate passer. And it, you know, but, but I, I, just, I, I just think we underestimate how unbelievably difficult it is to sustain success for any really prolonged period of time because things do go stale. And to be able to break through that and to be able to maintain a culture. And you hear Mike, uh, Matt LaFleur talk about it, you know, the standard that we have here and all that stuff, but it's hard to get guys to just believe it and to, to show up for it and, and to, to say that, you know, to carry that mantra with you. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I've never really delved into it, but I, I find it incredibly interesting. I, I feel like with Bill Belichick, it was just sort of an iron fist kind of thing. And, and especially the way he built his team. I mean, he had Tom, which was a big deal, and he had a couple stars, but he had, he had an incredible ability to get middling talent that was just the perfect piece for their offense. And so he really had the ability to say, you will do as I say or you won't be here. And he could easily ship you off and find somebody else to replace you because that's just what he did. I'm not sure about Reed. I mean, I, wildly creative play caller and everything else, clearly. But, um, you know, if, if, if the guys aren't playing for you anymore... That's, that's going to be the end of it, and they are, and they do. And, and again, I've talked about especially the defense. I know he's not a defensive guy, but I've never really liked the players that they've had. They, they, they've got a fraction of the talent that we have, but they just show up, and they get the job done, and they do enough. And I know having a great offense helps, but the point is, I, I, rather than looking at it from a standpoint of, you know, being a coach is the easiest thing in the world, why can't Matt LaFleur figure it out? I, I just think it's, it's, a, it's a really, 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 really difficult thing to have long-term, prolonged, sustained success. I mean, Mike McCarthy for a really long, he, he had a heck of a run before it finally went stale. And, and, and it just feels like once it does, there's nothing you can do. And I remember when they gave him that one-year contract and I was kind of stunned by it. I didn't really understand it because I thought all our problems were just Rodgers was hurt and once he comes back, everything's going to be fine. But, you know, the GM knew better, gave him one year to, to see if he can kind of get out of the funk and he couldn't. And we got new blood, and it reinvigorated everything. We got new new guys in free agency. We got a new coach. We got a new defensive coordinator, and that guy was a hardcore, tough nose. You know, just just everything was new. Everything was different, and it was working, and it was clicking, and everything was feeling good. I mean, it, it, it's it's like the honeymoon phase, but trying to keep a marriage good for a long time—that's that's a harder thing to do. You know, you got to be able to pull through stuff like what we're going through right now. The question is, can we? Somebody's got to do something. And everybody's got their own little theories about what it's supposed to be, but um, somebody's got to do something. And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, it always comes down to coach and GM. Always. Because if you say, no, it's the players that are, are, are not playing, 
well, that's still a coach or GM thing. Is it because they're not good enough? That's the GM. It's because they're not motivated. That's the coach. If the team's not winning, in my opinion, you look at the coach and or the GM always. And I'm not saying, you know, give it, give it a half a year and fire a guy. I'm just saying we've got to pinpoint where, where the weaknesses are. If it's a culture issue, if it's a preparation issue and all that, Matt's got to get on top of that. And again, this is a new thing. This is a team that just, Matt, as a first-time head coach, won 13 games. And I'm sure nobody, including Matt, including Gutekunst, including Rodgers, was expecting to win 13 games after a losing season with a brand-new staff and everything else. But they did. And again, everything's easy when you're winning. So, you know, I, I don't mean to completely throw Matt under the bus. I'm not, I'm not calling for him to be fired. I'm just saying this is a Matt issue. And we got to see if he can pull out of this tailspin, even if it's not his fault. Because again, at the end of the day, his guys aren't playing for him. You know, there was the comment now that's kind of causing a stir, just like everything. You know what I mean? You got half the fans that are upset about it, and the other half of the fans are upset at the people who are upset about it. But Stokes made a comment that he was upset about winning, uh, not winning because he misses his Mondays off. And, and I kind of had two competing thoughts until I realized the second thought was very similar to the first thought. I just didn't really realize. My first thought was, like many people also did, and as you could probably imagine, is that seriously your motivation? I understand you want to win because you want to win and all that, but, but if your motivation is, I want more time off, you, you understand what, it, what we want as fans, right? We want to know that you are grinding even when you don't have to. And instead, what we're getting is a player saying, I want to not play even when we have to. So even, even in those times where we do have to do things, I don't even want to do that. Do you think in the back of my mind, I'm thinking Stokes is a guy that when meetings are over, when practice is over, he goes back and starts grinding. He hits the weight room. He's out doing all this stuff. He wants more time off. He doesn't want more time to prepare. Let me, let me just ask you this. Does getting a Monday off help you prepare for next week? Or does it hinder you? I don't think it helps. You're not more prepared with less work, right? So that, that was my first thought. And then, then my second thought was, you know what? It's just a comment. Sometimes you say stuff and you're just kind of like trying to be kind of jokey and then people take it all serious and it's like, dude, chill. You got like the um, actually crowd. Stupid example, but it's off the top of my head. If we were out somewhere, let's say we were out at a restaurant and my wife's like, hey, can you get up and get one of those high chairs for the kids? And I made a stupid comment about like, sometimes I wish I didn't even have legs. And then somebody at the table next to me says, actually, my cousin's cousin, dog's brother, was born without legs. How dare you? It's like, dude, I, I was just making a comment, man. I, I don't know. You know, like, you, you're just kind of being jokey, and people take it all serious. Like, man, you guys are not fun to hang out with. But he, here's kind of the thing. When I make those comments, and let's be honest, usually it's guys making comments that their wives don't think are very funny. What at the root is the issue? I don't take it seriously, and she does. So it's kind of the same thing, but I don't know. I, I, I guess I shouldn't take it to the, you shouldn't even joke about that extreme. But it, it is just kind of a, an eye roll thing where it's like, man, considering all the issues we've had with you guys seemingly not caring, considering we've heard comments from your teammates about lack of preparation, Considering we've heard your quarterback say that last week was the first time you showed up and actually seemed like you were ready to play. I don't know, man. I'm not sure the first thing we wanted to hear is, gee, I wish, I had, I wish we'd win so I could get a day off. Kind of feeds into the narrative a little bit, you know? You could say it feeds our insecurities. You can put it that way. But anyways, I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about Matt LaFleur pulling out of a tailspin. I, I don't know. We got to see, man. We got we to see because, well, I mean, we'll see on Sunday. We'll see how much fight and how much passion, how much heart they've got. I know it's there. And you just have to assume that once they get going, they're going to get going, but they just, they can't get going. It's hard to be that team that's all like, you know, building off of things. They always talk about, you know, get that easy pass going so you can kind of build some momentum. It's hard to build momentum when you just kind of suck a lot. And it's not even suck from, from the standpoint of like, you're bad at football. It's suck like, you, you just had a stupid mental lapse and somebody came free and, you know, what was a second and four became now a third and 12 because you gave up a sack because, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm supposed to go that way. And I went this way and my bad. And then I tripped and fell. And blah, blah. So, yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know. Back to your question. What we can do about the issue. But again, we'll see if they can turn it around. But if not, I just I struggle. 
I struggle with the idea that we really don't need to change anything and we're going to be fine, right? I mean, we'll give it till the end of the year because what else do we have to do? But when it comes time for decision time, are we really going to have that mentality? Because I feel like we've had that mentality way too many times. And again, I'm the guy that doesn't want to fire anyone. I'm the guy that was scared of firing Joe Bear, uh, Mike Pettin because it's like, dude, I don't know, man. It could be worse. It could be a lot worse. I'm always that guy. But I'm always also the guy saying we should have done that a year earlier. We should have done we always should have done it. Mike McCarthy, Ted Thompson, much love. Mo Drayton should have been fired two years before he got hired, because that was the worst thing ever. And I think generally we we see this even with the the personnel stuff. They're so slow to adjust. They don't like change, and I get it. But very rarely do I do we stick by our guns when something is just kind of catastrophic. And it ends up paying off. I'm sure there's examples. If you've got any, tell me. But I can't think of a ton. Maybe if you were thinking, you know, there was a chance we were going to get rid of Rodgers in 2018, that would have been premature. But I don't think that was ever in the cards, right? We stuck by Dom Capers way too long. That was a wrong decision. We stuck by Mike McCarthy. It was a wrong decision. We stuck by Mike Pettin. It was a wrong decision. Anyways, I want to look at one more thing. It just just dawned on me here. Um... You know, PFF does not break down grades based on where you line up, right? So whether you're, I don't know, a guard and a tackle, I can't look at your guard snaps compared to your tackle snaps. Now, if you did an entire game at guard, obviously, then that's that's one thing, but I, you can't do that. However, talking about Darnell Savage playing in the slot, PFF does have a slot coverage um, page here. Now, they don't have grades, but they do have stats, and I found this a little bit interesting. So you can pull up corners, uh, safeties, linebackers, whatever you want in here, um, and you can get some of the more advanced stats type of thing. So, for example, nine different people on the team have played in the slot at one point or another, including Preston Smith, of course. Savage has played in the slot the fifth most. You got Razul number one, then it's actually Keyshawn Nixon, believe it or not. Then Devondre Campbell. Then Amos. Then Savage. Then Jair, Quay, Stokes, Preston, and Rudy Ford. Darnell Savage in the slot. 37 coverage snaps. Targeted seven times. Gave up three receptions for six yards. And yes, a touchdown, unfortunately. If it wasn't for that touchdown, that'd be super impressive. Um, but here is what I found a little bit interesting. They've got yards per snap, snaps per target, and snaps per reception. I think yards per snap makes the most sense because it kind of encapsulates everything. Ultimately, yards are what matters. How many times you were targeted, I mean, that could mean a lot of different things, why you'd be targeted a lot or a little. But whether or not they catch it is kind of more important. Well, then you got snaps per reception. So you don't necessarily need snaps for target because snaps per reception is more all-encompassing. But in my opinion, how big a plays per reception also factors in. So I like yards per snap. We can go through all of them, but I think that one makes the most sense. Two players have not given up a single yard, Rudy Ford and Jair Alexander. Jair, 13 snaps, three targets, zero receptions. Rudy Ford, three coverage snaps, one target, zero receptions. Next is Darnell Savage. And if we if we cut this down a little bit to guys that have actually played a decent amount in the slot, Savage would be our top guy. We're talking Keish, uh, Savage, Amos, Razul, Devondre, and Keyshawn Nixon. Yards per snap. Keyshawn Nixon, 1.62 yards every snap. Devondre Campbell, 1.36. Razul, 1.3. Amos, 0.47. And Savage, 0.16 yards per snap. He's given up six yards on 37 coverage snaps. But what about this question? What if we just said safeties in the slot in the entire NFL? Yards per snap. Darnell Savage at his 0.16, is the fifth best in the NFL. Buda Baker, Justin Burris in Carolina, Ryan Neal, Ronnie Harrison, and then Darnell Savage. Immediately after that, you have Tyron Matthew, Kyle Duggar, some other decent names. So I'm, I'm not going to pretend that yards per snap is the be-all, end-all. But it's interesting to see uh, Darnell Savage in the top five of anything. Considering when you look at PFF grades, he ranks the ninth worst in the NFL with his 46.4 overall grade. So bear in mind, based on that one stat, 
Jair is the best slot guy we have, based on, again, limited limited snaps, but still. After that, you're kind of looking at Darnell. Something to think about, that's all I'm saying. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, tomorrow is officially game day, so we will uh, take a look at that a little bit closer, as well as some of the other games and the implications and whatnot. But we're going to leave it at that for now. You guys have a good day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.